I'm intrigued by a major body of water that we usually overlook, even though it frames so much of the Celtic world. When I look at a map of the British Isles, it's easy to notice how the basin that we call the Irish Sea works to keep Ireland separate from Scotland, England, and Wales. And then there's the Isle of Man in the middle of it, home to yet another intriguing Celtic culture. I've called in two of my favorite tour guides from either side of the Irish Sea to tell us how that body of water influences their worlds and to help us to make it part of our travel plans between Ireland and Britain. Stephen McPhillamy joins us from Derry in Northern Ireland, and if you've heard him before on Travel with Rick Steves, you know he's loyal to Ireland through and through. Martin DeLandovitz is a proud son of Wales, and he lives not far from the sea in the north of Wales. Stephen and Martin, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here. So it's the Irish Sea. Does anybody dispute that? Why isn't it the Welsh Sea? Uh, there's no disputes. We're, we're happy no. it's called the Irish Sea, but mm. I wonder what the Welsh perspective is. No, I mean, it's, you can take it if you want. <laughs> it sort of comes and goes anyway, doesn't it, on a daily basis? Well, there is the Cel- there's another the one called the Celtic Sea. But that's what it is. It's got, you've got Scotland, the Isle of Man, Ireland, and Wales all around there. It could, yes. It's a basin surrounded by Celtic people. Yeah, it is. And the reason that it is surrounded by Celtic people is, of course, because the sea is there, because we tend to view the sea as an obstacle these days to travel, but it was the highway. Well, that's true, isn't it? In the yeah, old days, yeah, that was the way to that connect. Was the highway. I mean, you stand on the Giant's Causeway, you're looking at Scotland, and I go to the top of Holyhead Mountain, I'm looking at Ireland. What is the uh, approach to the sea between Ireland and Wales? Because when I'm in Wales, we've got all of these uh, lifeboat initiatives going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, there's a need to rescue people at sea. I don't recall lifeboat uh, charities in Ireland. We actually have them too. That We have the same charity that these guys have, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Is that right? But funny enough, like we're not a very... For an island, I think it's funny that Ireland's not a very, You're not very seafaring, seafaring nation. No. Like we, have mm. no, we have no admiral heroes or we had one pirate queen back in the 1500s, but apart from that, no. Uh, Martin was talking about how in the Middle Ages, and that was a, a connection. So Ireland and, and Wales would have been connected via the Irish Sea. Yeah, if you, if you look back, it's the intriguing thing. You go back to the oh, uh, six, seven, eight hundreds, and the O'Neill of Ulster were um, rulers of Scotland. They were rulers both on the Isles and they were rulers in Ulster. You think about Vikings. I mean, if you look at the Irish Sea, if you look at the Viking Kingdom of Dublin, and then they also own the Outer Isles, settlement in Wales... At different times, different sets of people moved across the Irish Sea and controlled it. It was a unifying thing culturally, linguistically, rather than anything that divided. On the point of connecting Wales and Ireland, Irish chieftains used to raid the coast of Wales, and that's how we got St. Patrick to come to yes, Ireland. That's, that's true. He yes. didn't come by choice. We went and stole him. Brought you stole him, him from Wales? Slave. He was a Roman Britain. Uh, he either lived in the north of England or somewhere in northern Carlisle, Wales. they reckon, these yeah. days, don't they? Yeah. And when you think about the Irish Sea, it actually, we're talking about it being a connector, but it was also kind of a barrier because the Romans got to Wales, but they just they just decided not to cross over to Ireland. Yeah. And that's an important part of our history, too, is the sea has been a, Irish Sea has been a protector of Ireland. It's kept the enemy out. I mean, invaders like the English or the Romans, whoever, obviously they're English crossed it, but we have an old song in Ireland, and, and the chorus of it is the sea, it's about the Irish Sea. The chorus goes, the sea, the sea, long may it roll between England and me. It's our sure guarantee that one day we'll be free. Thank God we're surrounded by water. Again, beautiful. And the Welsh don't have that sea to protect them. If you look, yeah. So you're more integrated into England. In a way, yes. I mean, the truth about Wales is from, let's say, the Roman point of view. Romans never wanted Wales. It rains too much. The soil is thin and acid. All you can ever grow in Wales is small sheep and discontented people. It's not a land that gives bounty. Let's talk about Ireland. 
Do, do the Romans <laughs> even want more God forsaken than Wales? Now I'll tell you something that's interesting to me, and I'm just thinking about this talking now. West Coast people. Now West Coast America. Here we are in Seattle, far more laid back. And throughout, if you go to France, down the West Coast, and all that, they're they're really laid back people. East Coast people are uptight by comparison. Now the part of Ireland that looks at us is the East Coast. In Ireland, do you have that east-west business? Oh, yeah. The, you buy well, that? Yeah, I, I buy into that yeah, that philosophy. I think the west coast of Ireland's yeah. very similar to the west coast of Britain, like the Welsh. Exactly, but, yeah. you know, oh. we're, we're looking again, we're looking across the same bit of sea, aren't we? It's only a tiny little bit of sea. Now, when you think about the difference between the Irish and the Welsh, can you make a case that there was less difference before the Romans stopped and the difference today between Ireland and Wales can be traced back to the fact that the Romans took Wales, but they never impacted Irish culture? Or what causes the difference between the Welsh and the Irish? Linguistically, they're different. That that happens in the 400s, the 500s, the linguistic change. I mean, they are Celtic languages. But, do you know, all of Celtic society, both that of Ireland and both that of Wales, it was an extremely fragmented society. Within Ireland, and Stephen will tell you, within Wales, there's constant intra- and internecine strife. Okay, so there's differences within Wales as much as between Welsh and Irish. Absolutely. And so that what you have is when you put the Irish Sea and the two countries into it, they were just players in a great big shifting kaleidoscope of alliances, <laughs> happinesses, aggressions, you know. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Martin Delandovitz from Wales and Stephen McPhillamy from Ireland, two guides who know the Irish Sea well. And we're talking about the body of water that separates so many Celtic peoples. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Ed's on the phone in Huntington Beach, California. Ed, thanks for your call. Well, thank you for taking my call. My wife and I are going to be traveling uh, in uh, Ireland and Scotland in August, and one of the legs will be going from Belfast uh, over to uh, Stranraer. I was just curious about the kinds of things we might be seeing on that trip over and uh, how the weather might be. Well, I've taken that trip myself hundreds of times. I think it's one of the great things about the Irish Sea is that it's a very busy sea. Like, we're always crossing it all the time. Tourists who come to Ireland and Scotland, for some unknown reason, think they have to fly between the two countries when it's a beautiful experience mm-hmm. to get on the boat. The ferry that you'll be taking is not just a little car ferry. Like, this is like a cruise ship. Now, this no. is the main ferry basically connecting Belfast and Glasgow, right? Yeah, you just, you'll take your car, you drive on the boat downtown Belfast, uh, park your car, head up to the bar or head up to the restaurant. They even have, they even have a McDonald's. They call it the fastest fast food oh, in the world. Oh, now, wait. I don't think I would do no, that. I mean, not is, in Ireland. Come this, on. This is what you're going to see on your trip. And as you're going over this, keep your eyes on the sea because uh, you, you can get a minky whale there. Absolutely, yeah. You can yeah. get dolphins, porpoise, hmm. uh, basking shark, which is, I think it's the largest shark Yeah, huge, big, 20-foot long. Massive like, things. It might be a bit choppy going over. You know, sometimes it gets a wee bit choppy, but the boat's so big you don't really feel it. It's like a big cruise ship. Only if it gets, like, tsunami standards will they cancel the ferry, and that's very rare. Yeah. You never get that in the now, summer. Now, Ed's going to be heading over to Scotland, but uh, just south of that is Sellafield, right? This uh, notorious uh, nuclear power plant. I read that the Irish Sea is one of the most radioactive seas in the world. Yeah, well, we're very nervous about it in Ireland because we, we're nuclear-free, and we're worried that the, the British um, nuclear station might melt down someday, and all it takes then is for the wind to change direction, and we mm-hmm. start glowing in the dark. I... I, I, I <laughs> You, know, you, can, you can laugh on this side of the Atlantic, but <laughs> it's, it's such a problem, isn't it? And I, you know, I'm no lover of nuclear power either. But do you know, if you think about coal, oil, gas, global warming, uh, the thing about it is, is that nuclear well doesn't warm the environment. But if it goes wrong, it goes spectacularly wrong, yeah, doesn't it's, it? It's, it's, it's a tough not... issue. But apart from the uh, the safety of nuclear power and those kind of concerns, 
Is the Irish Sea, is there a concern that, that it still provides healthy seafood to eat and so on, or is it too well, polluted? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of points about, a lot of comments that it is very radioactive and mm. that it is polluted, but I know there's a lot of fishing going on in the Irish Sea and we're still eating our fish from it. Uh, I've eaten all so my it's life. Not, it's not affected us, has it? No. <laughs> <laughs> there's another issue, there's another sort of exciting challenge, uh, this vision of building a bridge or a tunnel connecting Ireland and Wales. Is, oh, that, is oh. that just a pipe dream or might now, that happen? Now listen, you want to think big. You're a Victorian. Do you know what they're going to do? They were going to wall off the North Passage and St George's Channel and drain the Irish Sea. That was a that was the pipe. in Victorian take, times. In Victorian times. Mind you, they were going to dig the Channel Tunnel back then too and they started. And there was a serious scheme to wall off the Irish Sea, turn it maybe into a freshwater lake, then start reclaiming land. Absolutely. Think, Come on. Think, no, serious. <laughs> think big or what? Think, well, uh, that's, that's huge. But I think there's the engineers in Ireland are actually, they've proposed a tunnel from Rosslare to Fishguard. Yeah, I think it's, well, yeah. I've, I've heard some chit-chat about it, but it's, we have... It's not, it's not in... We can't even afford a packet of peanuts in Ireland at the moment, so we're oh, definitely... Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing, if you think about it, there's not that much traffic to justify that. No, there wouldn't be... Well, have wind turbines come to that part of the Irish Sea? Yeah, you get the wind turbines, and uh, I, I agree, and it's, it's a good point to make that there are uh, natural sources of energy that are perfectly good. But do you know, it requires a huge thing to actually change all of our energy demands to natural sources, doesn't it? And yeah. until then, nuclear, I'm afraid, and I am afraid, because you know, I'm no great lover of it. It's going to have to play a part, isn't it? And see the great thing about that ferry across from Belfast to, to Stranraer? is once you get off on the other side, you're, you're in Glasgow in less than an hour. Mm. You can be up in Edinburgh in three hours. You can drive yeah. on up to the Highlands. It just opens up everything. You know, yes, now, that's does. one thing a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people go to Scotland and they don't realize Belfast is just a quick ferry ride absolutely. away, really. Oh, and there's buses leaving several times a day yeah. from Glasgow to Belfast. And then from Belfast, how long does it take on the train to get to Dublin? Two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Yeah. And so it opens up everything. So this, everything's yeah. open. Yeah. You go to all those Celtic capitals. And then if you even go back to Victorian times, it was a big deal. When Dublin was the second city of the of Great Britain, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, what they had a big uh, the London talk about the London Dublin connection. You think of uh, Glasgow, mm -hmm. and you think of Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. That's a twin for you know for Glasgow. You read Belfast, you know, shipbuilding industry, and for Edinburgh, you read Dublin, these great Georgian cities. But then, in the nineteenth century, you're absolutely right, Rick. What happens is there's the ferry goes across from. Uh, Dublin to Hollyhead. Well, that's and that's the north of Wales, which really is the quick connection to London. That's right. London to Dublin was a very important access. Absolutely, since since if you like, it was the vice regal centre for London was HQ, if you like, headquarters, and Dublin was the vice regal centre, and so communication between the two was essential. So you had Thomas Telford building his lovely A5, a road oh, yeah. still used today, and then of course the railway arrives in the 1850s, 60s, the railways arriving. So you go across North Wales and you see a lot of that engineering from the 19th century that Absolutely. really was part of Britain asserting its control on Ireland by having a good infrastructure. Yeah. It's, you know, the wealth of, if you look at the building of Dublin, marvellous buildings. They, they are beautiful. And where did that wealth come from? It's all, it, what built the wealth of, of Edinburgh? It's the British Empire. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing too about this whole British Empire is that we were providing a lot of the manpower in the factories yes. and in the, in the linen mills and in the coal mines and so that path from Dublin through Hollyhead to London is mm. well worn by millions, millions yeah. of Irish people. Yeah. There's a song we have regarding how many Irish people went to London to work in World, mm. you know, World War Two. The the chorus of it is, um, it was in the year of thirty nine. The sky was full of lead. Hitler was heading for Poland and Paddy for Hollyhead. So nineteen thirty nine, the war is cooking. Yeah. Hitler's heading for Poland. Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, or the Irish Free yeah. State, yeah. is neutral, and we're providing manpower for the British Army, but we're providing twenty times more. 
to work while the British men are off fighting so the Germans. Just like, just like we had Rosie the Riveter here in England, you had Irish people coming in and doing the industrial labor? Yeah, and we had, we had this type of builder. He was called a navvy. He was like the... Like the it comes Navy from, Seal of construction workers. Yeah. You know? It comes like, from na- building the navigational canals. That's, oh, is that a, that's Navi, where the Navi yeah. comes Navi. from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's McAlpine's Fusilier. McAlpine's Fusilier. Oh, yeah. where's that? No, sorry. Mustn't start. Beautiful song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, you know the song too? Yeah. Yeah. As down the glen came Alpine's men with their shovels slung behind them. It was in the pub that they drank their sob and a hop in the spike as you will find them. Oh, they sweated blood and they washed down mud with pints and with quarts of beer. But now I'm on the road again with my Alpine's fusiliers. McAlpine was, was the main construction giant in Britain and his, his Irish labourers were known as McAlpine's Fusiliers. Yeah. So that, that's a folk song from the 1930s, basically. Yeah. And yeah. Irish and Welsh all can sing it at the drop of a hat. Yeah, yeah. It's a great song. The gangs, you know, the road gangs, the building gangs. And the Irish, and I have to say this, they built. Why did they build? It's because they had a reputation for working and they did build and they did work tremendously. But the Welsh equally provided the soldiers, as did the Irish, that maintained the British Empire, that built our cities, that built our roads, that built everything. And everything that you see in, in Dublin or Belfast or Glasgow or Edinburgh or indeed in London and everything you see in Wales, that's all built with the wealth of the British Empire. The wealth of the British Empire and the hard labour of the Celtic yeah, people. Yeah, but you know, people, hard labour of the Celtic people and people will say, oh, we were exploited, we worked in the factories and all the rest of it. The real exploitation was going on in Africa and India. It wasn't going on. Okay. You know, it's terrible. You know, bad wages, bad conditions in Britain, but you go out there and you see what there is. Going back to this whole topic of the Irish Sea, we were the Celtic nation. The Irish were the Celtic nation who was most reluctant to be part of this empire. Like Martin's talk there in glowing terms of empire isn't shared by my good self. You know, like, oh, no, I, I, but well, that makes point sense because uh, Wales yeah, is part of yeah, Great Britain, yeah. right? It was easier to understand why the Welsh assimilated with the British more, with the English more, because you share the same island with them. Like, we're on our own, so it's easy for us to say we're independent and different, whereas if you're sharing the island with another tribe, which is the English, it's hard mm. to have uh, your own uh, identity as much. Going back to the 19th century now, in the 18th century, and Ireland was then yet part of Great Britain then, wasn't it? Uh, since 1801, was it? The thing about it is that I don't speak in glowing terms of the British Empire, but if you want to see its products, then you go to our great cities. And you may be ashamed of it, you may regret it, but at the end of the day, you can't deny where the money came from. That's where it really came from. It's kind of like being beat by Rome in the ancient times. Well, you lost the battle, but now you're on the winning team. Yeah. Mind you, that that team is now (laughs) long gone. The British Empire is a memory, but Britain is now Great Britain. I I, I fail to see its greatness much. But I love what you guys were talking about with the great cities. I mean, Glasgow, Belfast, industrial powerhouses, and then their sister cities, Edinburgh and Dublin, the the cultural cities. cities, And today, for a long time, everybody's been crazy about Dublin and Edinburgh, but people are paying more attention to Glasgow and uh, uh, Belfast these days. You you go to Scotland now and all the young people want to live in Glasgow. Yeah. There's a harder image to those two towns too, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Bit of danger. Bit of danger. Working class. Not genteel. You get the gentility in uh, Dublin or Shipyards and dock workers. and And, And good, healthy immigrant populations too. Speaking of immigrant population and the Irish Sea, a big crossing was Irish people going across the Irish Sea to Liverpool on their way to the United States. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So Liverpool is a huge Irish community there. Lots of the Beatles had an Irish background, and there's a big Catholic cathedral there, which would be a huge one. It's known as Paddy's Wigwam. 
Patty's <laughs> Wigwam. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Martin Delandovitz from Wales and Stephen McPhillamy from Ireland, and we're talking about the Irish Sea. You guys are proud Celtic nations, and there's a quirky little Celtic group right in the middle of the Irish Sea, the Isle of Man. Yeah, that's where our brothers, the Manx people live, M-A-N-X. That's the name of the tribe that inhabit the, the Isle Manx. of Man. And, and how are they different from the Irish and the Welsh? Well, they're pretty different. Like, they used to have their own language. Unfortunately, now, I'm, I'm pretty sure Manx is dead. It's yeah. extinct. But they have the oldest parliament in the world. They're very um, proud people. They have a nice sort of Celtic-Viking mix. Uh, they have casinos there. It's the only part of the UK that... So politically, they're part of England? Yeah, they're part of the United Kingdom, but they're, they're a little self-governing kind of... I don't know if I'd use the word protectorate, but they're little... Right. They have their own little parliament. And uh, quote me if I'm wrong here, Martin, but the other man is tax-free. Uh, it has a different or tax a, regime, yeah, very ta- different. Yeah, tax haven. And it's to live there nowadays, you can't just turn up and say, I want to live here. You've got to have a healthy bank balance before they'll let you in. I have, I have a few friends in the Isle of Man. I, I was surprised how different they are. Like They, are, they have very, a very distinct very culture. Real sort of uh, proud and... And uh, they also are famous for having cats with no tails. Cats with no tails. Yeah, People the, go to the Isle of Man, cats. they always are struck by how interesting the experience is. One of the most interesting things for me about the Isle of Man is that, uh, like like the United States, we imprisoned people during World War II who were ethnically of uh, our, let's just say, our, our enemies. And uh, many of the German origin people were, in fact, Jewish, who'd escaped Nazi Germany. But because of their uh, German origins, they were imprisoned. And, of course, the people that came were all the professors, the lawyers, and the Isle of Man had a huge camp for people of German origin, but they were as British as I am. And it was a university. It was the best university in Britain during World War II. Every book on the archaeology of the Isle of Man, Gerhard Bessieux, was written during World War II. Phenomenal work was done there. So I, I don't quite understand. English would lock up Germans just like Americans locked up Japanese. Yes, exactly. And these were people that fled Germany before. That's right. And yes. they went to England, but England locked them up and put them on their own little island. Yes. So, I mean, some, some went to Australia, some went here, some went there. So England used the Isle of Man Absolutely. as an Alcatraz yeah, almost yeah, yeah, for suspected yeah. uh, German during sympathizers. World War II, but, but they say it was the most cultured place in the world during World War II. Guides from either side of the Irish Sea are joining us right now on Travel with Rick Steves to help us appreciate the role this body of water plays in the Celtic world. And we're looking at ways to include it in our travel plans to Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and maybe even to the misty Isle of Man, protected from invaders by a Celtic sea god. Stephen McPhillamy is our representative from the Irish side of the sea, and Martin Delandovitz comes to us from Wales. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Chris is calling us from Alisa Viejo in California, and he joins us to tell us about visiting the Isle of Man. Chris, thanks for your call. Hi there. Yeah, I visited Ireland first, and then I went to the Isle of Man for about three days. I rented a car and just systematically went around the island. I stayed in a and b at the north end on a farm. That was very interesting. And the farm was owned by two English people. Did you find it was kind of a resort land for English people, or did it have its own culture and its own sort of uh, character? Well, they explained that this was a very popular place during the Victorian era for English people to go to. So there's all these old railroads, and you, there's horse-drawn carriages, and it's almost a feeling like it had this Victorian-era place-to-go kind of a feel to it. And uh, now they have these motorcycle races, I think, to attract people. I did not, I was not one when I was there. Yeah, that's, uh, Chris, that's the TT races they have every year. I think it's the only part of the United Kingdom where road racing is legal. Huge yes. speeds and 
unfortunately, some all drivers are killed each year. All around the island. All around the island. Just zoom in. Yeah, Tens of thousands I, that's of why I particularly go. wanted to avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> Chris from California, thanks for your call. Okay. We'll see you in the Isle of Man sometime, but don't go during the car race. Motorbikes. <laughs> Motorbikes, all right. When we think about Ireland and Wales and England and the body of water that separates it, I'm fascinated by this paranoia that England has long had for Ireland being a like a staging ground for whether it's Napoleon or Hitler to yeah. come around the backside to England. So Stephen, all, talk we, about yeah, that. Ireland's always been seen as England's Achilles heel. You know, like we were like the back mm. door into, into Britain. So we were conquered as a result of that. It's surprising the Romans didn't come to us way back. So, so it was a preventative kind of conquering when, when England was afraid of oh, Napoleon. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, when the Spanish Armada was defeated, like the English were certain that another one was coming. And this time it was going to come into Ireland. And it did come into Ireland, like it landed in Kinsale in 1601. So the Spaniards had Catholic friends in Ireland. Yeah, and the Spanish army Natural landed. allies because they're the same enemy, England. Yeah, and they landed in southern Ireland. And the plan, of course, was to take over Ireland, although we were welcoming them. And then we'd all sort of maybe cross over the Irish Sea into Scotland, gather all the Scots together, and they don't need any excuse to conquer England. So all of us would then maybe roll south, just like Bonnie Prince Charlie would eventually mm-hmm. do and and conquer. So, so what did England, what did right England be, do in, in response to that? Oh, so England just came into Ireland and just bamboozled the place, like completely conquered us, took us over and uh, made us like a colony of themselves. Does that relate to by hook or by crook? Yeah, well, that was Cromwell coming in then in the 1640s, like 1649, when his, Oliver Cromwell, when he came into Ireland. But Ireland had pretty much been conquered by that stage already. It's interesting if you go back a bit from there, Stephen, thinking back to the Norman conquest. People say the Norman conquest. It was the Norman conquest of Ireland, but it, they were Welsh. The majority of the, they yeah. were Norman Welsh people, Cambro Normans who came over and got Malcolm the Fat and all these things. They came over to Ireland. Came over to Ireland. Across the Irish Sea. The, the, the actual invasion of, of Ireland by the Normans was pushed from Wales. Were they giving Welsh people uh, sort of a promise to go over here and they'll get better land and you can be settlers no, it, and plantations? No, it's, it's basically, you, you, I mean, Irish society was the same. It's based on primogeniture. If you're the eldest son, you get the lot. Now, what do you do with your other sons? Where are they going to go? Now, the, the Irish went travelling, but some of the Normans said, oh, we'll go over here and get this. Yeah. And then, of course, as you know, those, those Welsh Normans became more Irish than the Irish. Yeah. And the problem with Celtic society is we're always fighting amongst ourselves. We always press that self-destruct yeah, button. Yes, so, yes, yes. Like, back in the 12th century, we had two local Irish kings, small-time kings, but they were fighting each other. So the guy who was defeated invited the Welsh to come over and help him. Yes. Or the Welsh, the English, the British, whatever way you want to look at them. But they came in, so we invited them in. Yeah. And then they stayed and just you know, didn't want to leave. I think to the credit, I mean, they didn't want to leave. They've, they'd acquired land, but also they, more Irish than the Irish. And obviously they blended well into that society. But then the Normans were always like that, weren't they? They always blended so well. They never, yeah. you know, where are the Normans today? <laughs> They're still there. Blended yeah, we, in. We have a little, uh, there's lots of great cultural events, though, around the, based around the Irish Sea. We have sort of like mini Celtic Olympics and cultural get-togethers. And, so there's lots Pan-Celtic of, kind yeah, of yeah. activities. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about the intriguing Irish Sea. We're joined by Martin Delandovitz from Wales and Stephen McPhillamy from Ireland. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Irene's on the phone in Phoenix, Arizona. Irene, thanks for your call. How are you? Good, thanks. Going over there uh, to Ireland, I would like to take the ferry from Belfast over to Stranraer, do some touring around, including Edinburgh and Glasgow, and maybe some of the uh, lake country, and down and come back through Wales. I was through there once, and I was intrigued by the country, and I would like to do a little more of that and then come back to Dublin. And that would mean that we'd have a car 
all the way, which would be better than trying to pick up in one place and drop it off at another and either flying into Dublin or making that starting point or into Belfast. So let me review this. You're going to start in Ireland, maybe Belfast, and then you want to swing through Scotland and England and Wales and then return to Dublin in yeah. Ireland. And then back to Belfast. And then, so it's a circular tour from Belfast. Uh, what do you guys advise from a car point of view? Would she take the ferry without the car? Or I remember a long time ago, it was a big deal to take the car from the Republic into the north of Ireland. Yeah, it so used on. to be a big deal, but I think well, no, not that anymore. Be, no, it'd be grand now. Irene, I think you'll have no problems there. I think that I would take the car totally. There's I mean, good train connections and everything, but just the freedom of taking the car on the now, ferry. Now, one thing to consider is uh, you'd save a little money walking on from Hollyhead to Dublin, and you don't want a car in Dublin. Irene, would you be sightseeing between Dublin or Belfast or just catching the train back up uh, to Belfast? Catching a train, probably. So you might save money turning it in at Hollyhead. I don't know. You might save it, but I think they're not much. I think that the, the car company would charge you more for dropping off in a different place than what okay, you picked so up. Okay, so bring it back to Belfast. Mm-hmm. want to check that first. What do you think, Martin? I, the only thing you can do, Irene, is, is uh, you just look at the cost of going on as a foot passenger. If you went on as a foot passenger, say at Hollyhead, this is just an example. It's not what you're going to do, but it's an example. Then you went over to uh, Dublin and you rented a car there at Dunleary. You just have to balance the, the cost of... Normally, you just wouldn't need a car in Dublin. That would no, you wouldn't need to go. What, no, what I'm saying is... A car in Dublin is a handicap. Too, high, <laughs> yeah. too high as of a car. In other words, higher one in Ireland, higher one in Wales. Mm-hmm. And then you, you don't have to take it across from the ferry, and therefore you might save money. I've got a feeling it's going to be fairly marginal, the money, money yeah, saving. But I that sounds so. like a great vacation. It is so much easier to have a car, to go to the places Absolutely. you really want. You know, Irene, what you might do, the ferry comes into Dunleary, right? Yes. You could get a B&B in Dunleary, leave the car there where it's free to leave it on the street and take the uh, dart into Dublin and do your sightseeing yes, of yes. Dublin from Dunleary. Absolutely. There, there's two ferries, though, from Hollyhead, one in the Dublin city centre and one to Dunleary. Dunleary, that's right, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So the city centre might be, might, More be better, might be better, but yeah. not, not necessarily. But D- Dunleary is a, a lovely little town. It's oh, beautiful. It's, yeah. it's, it's had a lot done to it. It's, it's looking really prosperous. There's some lovely places. they great restaurants in Dunleary. And you can commute into town very it's, easy. You get in the dart and it's poof, you're straight there. And there's a lot to be said for staying there. One of the things that I would like to see again is the Edinburgh Tattoo. And that's yeah. in August. you got to be there I don't just know if for you've a few ever, days. Yes. Um, that or not, if you, if you're thinking of doing that, my strong advice is you plan that well ahead and make sure that you reserve your accommodation well ahead because you know the town is absolutely full of people visiting and oh, yeah. beds can't be had for love nor money. So make sure you plan ahead. And again, if you have a car, always consider staying outside town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to get a, I know to get a hotel in Edinburgh at that time. It's like 400 pounds per night. I know. Oh, during the Edinburgh Festival, it's tough, yeah. Irene, are you from Northern Ireland originally, are you? Uh, yes, originally. You can hear that. I could hear that, couldn't yeah. you? Yes. I wasn't sure if it was Scottish or Northern Irish, but I could hear it coming through. And so what was it that gave Irene's... Uh, uh, oh, just from the way. first moment she spoke, but uh, <laughs> just there the way she said pounds as well, so like how we have it here. Yeah. That's, we do deal with the vowels slightly different. A little different. You know, All right. Pounds. Well, Irene, good luck on your trip. Thanks for your call. All right, thank you. Thank you. Well, we've been talking about transportation connections and history and car rentals. Let's talk a little more about just the poetic wonder of of experiencing this part of the world. Where are the beautiful spots to be overlooking the Irish Sea? Martin from Wales? Um, Tacitus, the Roman writer, we're talking in the late 70s. He describes... uh, In the late what? (laughs) AD. 70 AD? Oh, we're talking the 70s. He he has Cnaeus Julius Agricola standing on top of a hill and looking at Ireland. And that can only have been Hollyhead Mountain. Yeah. 
And Wait he, a minute. There's a Roman historian writer that was standing on Hollyhead? Yeah, what he describes Agricola standing there. 70 years after with, Christ. He says with one legion or two legions of one, one season, he could take Ireland. He's standing there. And you, you stand there on Hollyhead Mountain where there's the remains of a Roman signal station and lighthouse. And you think... Agricola stood here because you can read it and you can see Ireland on the clear. You can day. see Ireland from, yeah. from, from it's, Hollyhead and It's North a very connected thing. And all along, because it's the west coast of Wales and the waves, although the island of Ireland does tend to sort of moderate the effect of the waves, it's a very rugged coast. And more or less anywhere along the coast of Wales, you're going to have beautiful views. The South St. David's Peninsula, gorgeous. But a little bit foreboding because didn't those Romans end up naming Ireland... Hibernia, Hibernia, land of winter. The yes. land of winter. Well, just it's lucky the Romans didn't come. We would have, we would have handled the Romans. We would have whooped them. We've beaten bigger empires than that one. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen McPhillamy, Irishman. What do you think of when you want to think of a grand perspective over the Irish Sea? Well, my a sea named after your people. My favourite memory of the Irish Sea is coming in on the ferry from Hollyhead. It's a really fast ferry, but there's an island called Ireland's Eye, and once you pass that, the ferry begins to slow, and as it comes into Dublin city centre. Like, I always feel like I just want to jump out and swim the rest, you know? Yes, yes. Like, I just want to, it just looks beautiful. Like, you're just floating in and it just looks gorgeous as you enter Dublin city centre. It seems to go sideways, the boat, at that point, doesn't it? It's fading It's off. like, this is my island. You know? This is my island. And you lose that if you fly into Dublin. There's yeah. a lot to be said about taking the ferry oh, across yeah. the Irish oh, Sea. Yeah, 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 you really yeah. feel like you've travelled then. You, you know? do. Like, do you love boat travel, Stephen? You, love it. I wish that there were liners that would come across the Atlantic and deliver us here. Yeah. Because, uh-huh. you know... It would take, what, two or three days? What a way to travel. But I think if Americans and Canadians knew that these ferries existed more, like they'd use them more. Because yes. last year there, there was a plane cancellation. Right? right, right. So they couldn't fly with Ryanair from Dublin to London. So they had no choice. They needed to get back to London. There were college students. They needed to get back over there. So they had to take the ferry. And they emailed me saying it was the best thing ever yes. happened to them. They're so glad yeah. that Ryanair cancelled their flight but you know, because they got to experience that ferry transfer. And there's a camaraderie on the boat. Every time Absolutely. I take the boat into Ireland, whether you, I'm coming you, from Scotland or Wales or even yeah. France, every time I've got beautiful memories of people Talking. in a great mood yeah. coming home. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And there is, Irene was talking about her vacation, but you think you can go across from the south of Wales to the south of Ireland and you can go up through Ireland and then you could take that ferry over to Stranraer at the top and you could do that lovely... Wales, Ireland, Scotland, three Celtic nations. You can mm. unite them by boat. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It was the highway. It unified people rather than kept them apart. It's only a modern think that it's a separating thing. Stephen McPhillamy from Ireland and Martin Delendovitz from Wales, thank you very much for sharing a little bit about your sea. Thank you very much. Each year, Rick Steves' tour guides take free-spirited travellers on escorted tours through England, Scotland, Ireland and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of the best of Ireland, the best of Scotland, the best of England and London. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.